Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Friends, hello. I am so glad you're here. You know what else is here? Summer. And we have had a great start to ours. We were able to take a really fun family vacation over to Puerto Rico. We took all our kids from the nine-year-old to the 29-year-old, and we even took Jason's parents. They came along, and we just had an amazing time. If you haven't been, I highly recommend it. We hiked to waterfalls and slid down natural rock slides. We zoomed along on the longest zip line in the world. And even my nine-year-old did it. She was a little bit scared at first, but after the first one, she was like first in line for the next one. Loved it. And we got lots of great beach time and snorkeling in. And it was just really super fun. And we came back and we're in the full swing of summer with activities and we've got some exciting things happening at our school techie for life and anyway just a great start to to our summer and i i hope you're having a, a good start to your summer so today i want to talk to you about knowing whether you're parenting too much or too little because sometimes it can be challenging to know if we're doing it too much or too little and it's especially tricky when you have a son or daughter that's neurodiverse, when they have some developmental delays or challenges. And then when you get a child going through that adulting transition, it can even get more complicated. How much should I support? How much should I back off? What's helpful? What's not? Too little support and management, and I may hinder their progress because they don't have what they need or the guidance they need, the structure, the parameters, right? and too much management and support, and we may get in the way of their progress um, because we're, we're so involved that, that they're not able to, to do their part in it. And I don't think any of us want to be the reason that our son or daughter is not making the progress that they're capable of making. So how do you know if you're parenting too much or too little for your neurodiverse child's developmental stage, capability, and their maturity level. First, let's take a look at the two extremes. If you're parenting in the extremes, you are probably gonna have CPS knocking on your door. Child Protective Services are gonna be showing up anytime. The far end of too little parenting, I would say is neglect not providing the basics like food, clothing, shelter, supervision, etc. The far end of parenting too much, I would say would be abuse. Withholding basic needs to control or punish a child, physically or emotionally harming them in an, in an attempt to control them. And in the extremes of too little or too much parenting, a child's life is really in danger and CPS needs to intervene in that kind of a circumstance. Now between those 
far extremes. There's gray area. And some things that you might see on the too little parenting side would be things like that the child is more in charge of things than the parent. There's little control or parental management or guidance happening. Maybe the parent just lets their child do whatever they want. And they actually even might even be making it easy to do whatever they want. Maybe they give too much supported freedom. Um, Maybe a child that's gaming all day and all night and the parent is providing the game system, the electricity, the internet, um, the food, the resources, everything to be able to to do that. And there's no guidance or um, management happening. Too little parenting to me looks like an inattentiveness. There's a lack of nurturing um, and even like a disconnect, little protection. And I, I see a lot of fear-based interactions. For example, like a fear to actually parent the child because you might upset the child. And just an overall lack of teaching, guidance, feedback. Now, what emotions might be fueling too little parenting? My guess is when there's too little parenting happening, there might be, you might be feeling fear, maybe some helplessness, maybe it's from stress or overwhelm, just overwhelmed and can't step in and and do and guide and parent and manage. Maybe um, a feeling of avoidance, like just don't know what to do or, or you're at a loss. And I want you to think about what a child might be experiencing from too little parenting in their life. My guess is they feel very unsafe. I'll bet they feel a lot of pressure from too much trust. It probably feels very lonely. In fact, they might have so much autonomy that they feel lost. There's no connection or roots. There's no like home base or grounding to life. They're just kind of left to do their own stuff. Now, On the too much parenting side, kind of moving in that direction, I think you're going to see things like extreme controlling, like giving the child little to no freedom, hyper-involvement, hyper-focus on the child or their behaviors, enmeshment, like dependence on that child, possibly, Um, manipulation. And instead of like little protection, maybe there's overprotection. Um, to the point of over-nurturing, over-smothering the child. Um, Or maybe it's lots of lecturing and talking at the child, yelling, and also which creates a disconnect when you're just talking at someone and lecturing at them. And the emotions that might fuel too much parenting on that side, my guess is also fear. Maybe fear that their child will make bad choices or get hurt or um, not do what they want them to do. Um, I, my guess is there, there even is a feeling of helplessness when, when we really overparent, get angry and upset. I think behind that, there, it can often be fueled by a feeling of helplessness. My child's out of control and I got to control them. Um, my guess is there's a lot of anxiety, fueling too much parenting, shame, also stress and overwhelm. And how might a child experience too much parenting? 
my guess is that they also it, it would also feel very unsafe and that there's shame from not not being trusted you know too much trust not enough trust if there's not enough trust that feels like shame like they don't trust me to be able to do this on my own or think i'm capable enough um, I imagine it might feel su- really suffocating to be parented too much. And I think there's a real likelihood of a child having such a lack of autonomy when they're parented too much that they don't even have much of their own identity. So there's many similarities between the too little side and the too much side. You could almost say they're two sides of the same coin. And we all fall into tendencies leaning towards one side or the other. And I think many times we, we even find ourselves swinging back and forth from, from too little or too much. So how do you find that healthy middle ground? I like to think about parenting like gardening. So my ch- five children are like being given five seeds to plant and to take care of. So your child or your children are like being given seeds, but you don't know what kind of plant they're going to grow into. And you aren't given very much instructions. Like There's not growing instructions on the, the seed packet. And each of your seeds, each of your children need different things to grow. And your goal is to do your best to give those seeds, those plants, what they need to grow into the plant that they're capable of being. Your job is to figure out what that is and offer it. So so when you look at that plant, if you don't give it enough water, it's going to dry out and wilt and eventually die. If you give it too much water, you're going to drown it. It's not going to have enough air pockets to breathe, or it might get root disease or root rot, right? So too much water causes harm, not enough is going to cause harm. Sun, too little sun, and it doesn't have what it needs to grow with photosynthesis and all the processes and plant growth. If you give it too much sun, it's going to hinder its growth. If you under-fertilize it, it won't have the nutrients it needs. But if you over-fertilize it, you might burn it. Like it gets too much and it overwhelms the plant. And so you get either very slow growth or no growth based on how much fertilizer you give. The soil, different plants need different types of soil. Location, different plants are going to do better in different kinds of locations. Um, Outdoor plants, indoor plants, right? Pruning, some plants need to be pruned or they'll grow too fast and their roots won't won't be stable enough and strong enough for them to do well. Pests can attach to a plant and overrun it and different Plants are susceptible to different types of pests, different kinds of bugs. And then you look at the different stages of a plant's development, and that plant needs different things at different stages. A little seedling is very delicate, and it needs just the right amount of water and you know, not too much sun. And then as that plant grows, it, it maybe needs to be moved into a different container and, and different things needed for it. And then a mature plant might need pruning or trimming back or the different stages of development of that plant need different things. And some plants are really hardy. Some plants are really delicate, but beautiful, right? Some grow quickly. 
Some grow very slowly. Some plants just need more tending and some just grow great on their own. Weeds, man, they don't need any tending, do they? They just grow wherever. Gardening requires agility and flexibility. It requires a gardener to pay attention and make adjustments. And we don't have control over what kind of plant a seed is. The seed comes as it is. We don't even have control over their growth. The plant does that on its own. There's chemical process, different things happening within that seed that grows it into a plant. We don't actually have control over that process. But what we do have control over as a gardener is how we show up as the gardener. And that usually takes a lot of experimenting, testing, learning, adjusting, guesswork, maybe asking other gardeners for advice, Googling for tips, consulting gardening experts, reading gardening books, educating ourselves. But ultimately, there's no one-size-fits-all approach to every plant in every location. There are just too many variables. A plant that does great in a humid environment might not do well in a dry environment, and vice versa. There's so many variables that come into um, how a plant is able to grow and develop. And as parents, we don't have any control over what kind of child we have. We don't have control over their personality or their actual development, the complex things that occur in their brain and their body to be able to develop. What we do have control over is how we show up as parents and how we choose to nurture and support each of our unique children in their development. Sometimes our kids need us to manage them more, and sometimes they need us to manage them less. Some children are going to just need more or less management overall than other children. And our child's different stages of development require different things from us. An infant is completely dependent on its caregiver for everything to sustain its life, food and clothing and and even sleep, you know, all the things to be able to grow and develop. A toddler, it's a little bit less. They're starting to do a little bit more. And then you jump up to teenagers and they require very different things than a, a baby. Some children are naturally more resilient and some are more fragile. Some children develop quicker than others. All children have their unique strengths and weaknesses. And when you have a neurodiverse child, you may have a child that needs more tending and nurturing. They may be more fragile or more susceptible to pests like bullies. That does not mean that they aren't good or special or amazing and beautiful. Neurodiverse children, teens, and young adults may need more management longer than typical brained peers. Nothing has gone wrong here, but to find that effective level of management as a parent requires us to be agile and flexible and to be willing to adjust to our child's continually changing needs. Now that process of a child developing especially a neurodiverse child, can look different. Like sometimes it looks like two steps forward and one step back. Sometimes it's just slow and steady and you think, are they really making progress? But then you look back and realize that they really have grown and made progress. It's just kind of slow and steady. Sometimes your child can take 
just a huge developmental leap. And that's some of my favorite to see, actually. Like, especially I've seen students at Techie for Life where they're just struggling, 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 and they're dealing with different things. Maybe they have a lot of shame from failures and and um, insecurity and don't feel like they belong or fit and they just struggle right and then all of a sudden like and I've even like been in that moment where you're like connecting with them and talking to them and mentoring them and you can almost just see that light bulb moment where they just make this mental shift and they take this huge developmental leap and everything's different and they're just headed in a whole new direction and the things that you were needing to do to support before are completely different now. Like it's all of a sudden like, oh, now we're th- now we're here. All right, let's support you here. And it's so exciting. So parenting and mentoring, it requires us to be agile and flexible and attuned to what's happening for that child. When you look at the too much side or the too little side, we want to stay out of those extremes, right? So we're aiming for that middle, that middle healthy space where there's an effective amount of parenting for that child's developmental level, capabilities, and maturity. And I like to call that middle space just a good enough amount of parenting, right? Not too much, not too little, but a good enough amount. Good enough. It gets us out of that perfectionist thinking just enough to be supportive, but also to not get in the way. I don't look for ways to help or manage my child as much as I can. I don't actually strive to give them as much as I can. I actually look for ways to give them just enough support for them to have what they need to grow. I also know my child's brain is still developing, and I want to offer support and management and guidance during that developmental process. But I don't want to overdo it because then they they don't learn from the, for themselves, right? So in that middle area, what does it look like when you're parenting in that middle area, that good enough amount area? It looks like providing all the basic needs for a child, right? Including food and shelter and clothing and educational opportunities. It's supporting their growth and development. And so for a human... <laughs> It's that physical health, their mental health, their intellectual health and growth, um, spiritual health, maybe social development, emotional health. It's being attuned to the needs of the child and responding to those needs instead of just reacting to the child. So for example, if a plant starts to wilt, the gardener doesn't freak out from, from, and, and, garden from fear thoughts like, oh no, this is bad, my plant, or I as a gardener is a failure. It's it's not supposed to wilt, right? No, it's more like when you're in that middle space, when that plant starts to wilt, you feel curious and compassionate for the plant. And it looks like, hmm, my plant is starting to wilt. Does it need more water or maybe less sun? Or could it be something else? Is there something I can do to support this plant's growth and development to be a healthy plant? A child experiences parenting in that middle zone. They feel safe. There's an appropriate amount of trust. 
They're going to feel connected and loved and nurtured by their parent or caregiver. There's a healthy amount of autonomy to be free to learn and grow for themselves, but then have guidance in that process. And as a parent, this feels like we're much more likely to land in that middle balanced parenting zone when we feel confident and secure and at peace with ourselves. And then we can connect to our child. So I want you to ask yourself, where would you rate yourself on this scale of too much, too little, and then in the middle, like good enough amount? How do you feel as you parent? That can be a big indicator. How does it feel when you parent towards the too little side or the too much side? It can be really helpful to assess ourselves and not from judgment or to criticize or put ourselves down. That's, that's not helpful. That doesn't, that doesn't improve anything, but to assess ourselves from curiosity so that we can gain awareness of where we're at so that we can make adjustments if we want to, to be able to parent more effectively. In my early parenting years, I vacillated between the too much and too little, really trying super hard and parenting a lot. And then like kind of getting overwhelmed and burned out and then kind of parenting too little. I think I vacillated between the two, but I'd say if I, I probably averaged on the more too much parenting side, like I was a very hypervigilant parent, just doing my best to like keep my head above water and trying to manage and sort of control things. But now I really spend most of my time in that good enough zone, kind of surfing that middle area based on my child's needs And I'm more attuned to when to step in and when to kind of back off. And, you know, you kind of test the waters like, okay, maybe I need to step in a little bit more. And, oh, no, they they actually can do this, you know, maybe a little backing off. Oh, no, I need to step in a little more. It's kind of like riding, teaching a child to ride a bike. They need a bike, number one, to start with, right? Like that's some basic need happening. If if we're going to teach them how to ride a bike, they need a bike to, to learn on. And then it's scary, right? It's like making it safe to like, it's okay. Like, we're just going to try this and it's okay to, you know, you're not just going to jump on a bike and ride it perfectly, right? So it's that process of like encouraging them and supporting them and in, in attempting it and getting comfortable with a bike. And then maybe as they're starting to pedal, like holding the bike steady for them until they kind of get a feel for it. And then maybe letting go a little bit and seeing where they're at and, oh, nope, and holding it steady again. And then they practice some more and then you kind of, let go a little bit and they, they maybe go a little further before wobbling. And then, and then pretty soon before you know it, they've like got it and you're like able to let go and they just take off and they are riding that bike. And it is the funnest moment when that happens. It's one of my favorite things. So I want to offer you something that I have found to be key in landing in that good enough amount of parenting zone more often and really experiencing more consistent parenting wins, no matter where your son or daughter is in their development or how much managing they need. And that is, I encourage you to strive to focus on the quality of your relationship with your son or daughter, your attunement, your connection to your child, first and foremost. Focus on your child, not their behavior. Our job is to parent our child Our job isn't to parent their behaviors. 
It's to nurture a child, not control behavior. Behaviors are just information. When you focus on the child behind the behavior, it changes everything. I want to give you kind of an example of this. It's with my daughter, Corinne, my youngest, and she's not neurodiverse, although she's like, she's very high ability. Um, maybe not quite gifted, but very, very high ability. And I went to her parent-teacher conference, and I love going to her parent-teacher conferences. When I would go to my the parent-teacher conferences for my boys, it was always lots of this isn't going well, or this is a problem, or they need this, or, you know, just, it was hard. But going to to Corinne's parent-teacher conferences is so lovely. It's like, oh, tell me how wonderful my daughter is doing. And she was, you know, telling me all these great things and, and where she was at and what she was doing and, and just great. And then she said, but there's this one thing and I, my eyes widened and I kind of perked up like, oh, what? Like, I wasn't expecting to hear that. She's like, yeah, there's just this one thing. She said, your daughter, like all the kids come into class and they go get their chair and then they sit down at their desk. But Corinne just stands at her desk all day. And I thought, really? <laughs> that, that's different. I haven't heard that before. She's like, yeah, she, you know, I don't have a problem with it. She's not a disruption. She's not distracting. I mean, it's fine. I, I think she just, I don't know. She's like one of those parent you know, adults. She'll grow into be one of those adults that has a, a standing desk maybe. Or, you know, she's like, I don't have a problem with it. It's just interesting. She, she stands at her desk all day. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I was thinking about it. And I, I got in the car with Corinne and I thought, I wonder what's, going on there. Like she didn't, I never heard that from when she was in kindergarten or first grade. I wonder what's different here or second grade even. And so then I just asked her, I'm like, Hey, Corinne, your teacher mentioned how you stand at your desk. How come you stand at your desk and don't go get a chair? And then all this emotion just comes bursting out of her. And she says, because when I sit in the chair, my legs get so antsy and they hurt. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, And my thoughts start going to, you know, does she have ADHD like my other boys? I don't think so. But like, what's going on? Like, why is she so antsy? And then she says, and I'm too short. And when I sit at my desk, I can't see my paper. Oh, (laughs) Corinne is really, really tiny. She's, she's just a very petite child. She's probably the third shortest in her class and probably and she's almost a head shorter than most of all the other kids in her class and so then all of a sudden it's starting to make sense to me no wonder she didn't want to sit at her desk I can imagine sitting because in third grade they have bigger chairs and bigger desks and I imagine that she's sitting at that chair and her feet aren't touching the ground they're just hanging off the edge and it's cutting off the circulation in her legs no wonder her legs are feeling antsy and that's really uncomfortable that's painful and then to not be able to even see your paper because you're so short and you can't see over the top of the desk enough to be able to write and work and I'm actually really impressed that her that she was willing to stand at her desk so that she could function in her class and so I went and I you know, when I got home, I emailed the teacher and I'm like, hey, so I talked to Corinne and here's the situation. Is there any way we could 
that she could be able to sit in a chair and a desk that fits her. And the teacher emailed back and she's like, oh, of course, I will make sure. Like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that was what was going on. And they got her a desk and chair, like adjusted the seat height or whatever they did. But now she sits at a desk that fits her and she actually sits now. So the rest of the school year, she mostly like sometimes she would still stand. But mostly she would sit in her chair and and we figured out what how to support her learning better. Now, if I was mainly focused on her behavior, I would be focused on the fact that she wasn't sitting in her class. And what do we do about this behavior? But Corinne didn't need a sticker chart to motivate her to sit in her seat. She didn't need a consequence like losing recess or grounding her from playing with friends when she got home to punish her for not sitting in her seat and following classroom rules. This wasn't a motivation issue or even a behavior problem. We were able to get to the heart of the matter and figure out a way to support and manage Corinne's experience of school and learning because we focused on Corinne. I focused on her and I sought to understand her and what her experience was that was leading to this behavior. And that's when I discovered the information that I needed to be able to make a decision on how to respond and how to advocate with her teacher to support her and to support her learning. And I'm so grateful that her teacher was willing to just go with it, right? She was willing to go with the way Corinne was standing at that desk. And I think there's a lot of teachers out there that probably would have punished or gotten on her. You need to sit down and go get your chair and been upset at her. And I'm just so grateful that that teacher was flexible about it and then quickly acted on getting her a new desk and chair when we realized that that's what Corinne needed. So I encourage you to consider and aim for what that good enough parenting amount is for you and for your son or daughter. And the best way that I've found to discover what that, what that is, is to focus on the quality of your relationship, your attunement, and your connection to your son, and, son or daughter first and foremost. So how can you know if you're parenting or managing too much or too little? Is your son or daughter moving towards more autonomy, or are they stuck and stagnant? Could the level of parenting or managing your offering not be supportive enough, or could it be getting in the way of their development, right? Is it too much or too little? And when you focus on a high-quality, attuned relationship and connection to your loved one, you'll be so much more likely to hit that good enough amount of parenting needed to support their growth and development. Our kids don't come with instruction manuals, but you don't need one when you're attuned to them and you're connected to them and you approach them with curiosity and compassion to really see them, the, the child behind the behaviors, the child behind the actions, and really see them and be attuned to them. If you would like more help and support so that you can parent your neurodiverse child, teen or young adult, with confidence and joy, <laughs> go, to your, go to our website, jasondebbie.com, and apply for coaching with me, and I would love and be honored to help you. I hope you have an amazing day and are enjoying your summer. Take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. 
If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. 